Our Old Testament reading is from Psalm 19, the entire psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the world, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The command of the Lord is radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern his own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Our New Testament reading is from Paul's letter to the Roman church, beginning with chapter 1, verse 16 and then proceeding through the rest of the chapter, uh, verse 32. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, From first to last, just as it is written, the just will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress their truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being 
and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. May the Lord add his blessing and help to us with this his word. Amen. Good morning. Most of you probably know that I have embarked on the stupendous task of preaching through the Psalms. I've reached number 19. Please uh, open your Bibles at that chapter. I'd like to point you to two scientists who have something to say about God and the universe. The first one is Johannes Kepler. When Kepler was born in the late 16th century, people thought that the planets in the solar system travelled in circular orbits around the Earth. But Kepler not only adamantly defended the idea that planets orbit the sun, but he also revealed that their paths were not perfect circles. Here's a quote from Kepler. Since we astronomers are priests of the highest God in regard to the book of nature, it befits us to be thoughtful, not of the glory of our minds, but rather, above all else, of the glory of God. I wouldn't mind guessing that Psalm 19 was one of Kepler's favourites. We might call the universe a wordless book, 
some of us are old enough to remember when we used to wave wordless books around to try and explain the gospel. The universe is a wordless book. The astronomer does not receive words, sentences and paragraphs through his telescope. Our second scientist for today is Brian Cox. You've probably seen Brian Cox on TV. Cox is a physicist who often speaks like an astronomer. He admits that he has no personal faith. I think he might be called an agnostic. Now I can't give you a quote parallel to the one from Kepler because everything that he says about the universe on his TV shows leads to the conclusion either that there is no God or if there is one the universe has nothing at all to say about God. Cox is what we might call a humanist. Why is it possible for two brilliant scientists to come to different conclusions on the matter of the universe and God? Because the universe is a wordless book. It speaks, we Christians insist, but the revelation is in the display of God's power. And that, of course, is what Psalm 19 says. Verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Then, what a glorious picture of God's universe we have in verses 5 and 6. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. And of course, this beautiful picture is here to reinforce to us that the universe is God's universe. He made it, set it in place, and keeps it functioning every day. People are able to conclude that God exists by looking around them in the universe, at the universe. People are able to conclude that God exists by looking around them at the universe. I'm sure that you've looked up into the night sky, preferably out in the bush, away from the light pollution produced by the city. How many millions of stars there are, each with its own orbit, 
And then there's the sun, our sun, and the earth, just the right distance away so that life can flourish. Much closer, and it would be too hot. Much further away, and the environment would be too cold. What a mind lies behind this perfection. And what about the tilt of the Earth's axis? No tilt, no seasons. Then there's the Earth's atmosphere. This layer of gases acts as a protective blanket around the Earth. The atmosphere protects the living things on Earth from the sun, which produces harmful radiations, and also from the scorching heat. What a wonderful plan lies behind these things. Even the non-Christian is able to get a glimpse of a creator via his work. Have you ever seen a model of, the, of DNA? This is what is called a double helix and it carries genetic instructions for the development, functioning, growth and reproduction of all known organisms and many viruses. Fantastic! People are able to conclude that God exists by looking around them at the universe. In theology, we call this natural theology. But there's another variety of theology which we call revealed theology. This is necessary for us to know the details of what God is like and what he expects of the one whom he has created, called mankind. What he expects from you and me. However, the Bible is needed for detailed knowledge of God and salvation. You want detailed knowledge of God and salvation? You have to look in the Bible. So we've got natural theology and revealed theology. Did you notice, as the psalm was read a few minutes ago, how many different words are used there for God's written word? What God has, has first spoken and then caused to be written down for our benefit, the Bible, is called the law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the decrees of the Lord. And if you compare the first and second editions of the NIV, you'll see that there are some differences in the words there. That's good. Add it all together. Why the repetition? To drive into our thick heads how important God's written word is. Psalm 19, verses 7 and following. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, 
giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. God uses six parallel expressions to describe the scriptures. Law, statutes, precepts, commands, fear and decrees. Each name adds something to the description. Together they form a picture of God's word which is like a cut diamond. The six facets combine to give an overall impression. Let's say, God's word is fantastic. The list in Psalm 19 then reveals a balancing list of six attributes. Perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, and sure. I pray that as you read and meditate daily on the Bible at home, you find that the Bible reflects all of these things. But we haven't finished yet. Accompanying each title is a descriptive phrase telling what the scripture does. Reviving the soul, making wise the simple, giving joy to the heart, giving light to the eyes, enduring forever, altogether righteous. Now, I hope that you don't retreat into the position that I sometimes hear on the lips of Christians. That's the Old Testament. I'm a Christian. It's the New Testament for me. Now, that's why I chose to read read to us this morning from Romans chapter 1. There in that chapter we have the wonderful statement that salvation comes to all who trust in Jesus Christ. The gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Then, verse 18 gives the very sad news that the wrath of God rests on all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. What is the wrath of God? It's God's righteous anger in response to man's sin. What? You don't like the idea of God's wrath? There have been some very brainy Christian professors who would agree with you. And they came to the conclusion that there's no such thing because they didn't like the sound of it. Um, But the Bible tells us that there is this thing called the wrath of God. I don't know any Christian who rejoices at the idea of the wrath of God. I certainly don't. However, the wonderful thing 
about our God, the God of the Bible, is that he never tells us how bad we sinners are without at the same time telling us that he has provided a solution and escape. For example, Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Back to Romans chapter 1. After speaking about God's wrath, God gives an answer to all those over the centuries who cry out, But what about the man in the jungle who has never heard the gospel? Verse 19. What may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. In other words, all people have the ability to look around them in the universe, God's magnificent creation, and conclude that God exists and that He is very powerful. This, of course, uh, is exactly what we've been reading about from Psalm 19 this morning. People are able to conclude that God exists by looking around them at the universe. But all people, whether 3,000 years ago when the Psalms were written or in the year of our Lord 2023, All people need a source of knowledge about God and his requirements for us, which gives details. This is why God has caused his word for us to be written down and preserved for thousands of years. So 21st century man can trust in the Lord God and be saved. However, the Bible is needed for detailed knowledge of God and salvation. So, where does all this leave churchgoers in Gosford today? What are we to believe? What are we to do? Well, here are some suggestions. When you and I are talking to people who take the position of Brian Cox and speak and function as if God doesn't exist and that the universe is the result of billions of chance happenings, each of which could have turned out otherwise, then gently point them to the universe. Say, isn't it fantastic? Where do you think all this came from? then perhaps you can mention some of the things about the universe that I've mentioned this morning. There are plenty of other things that you could mention also. If your friend doesn't believe in God, then you could ask, where do you think this complex machine 
we call the universe came from. He might come up with some sort of mechanistic answer like the Big Bang that the universe as we know it started with an infinitely hot and dense single point that inflated and stretched first at unimaginable speeds and then at a more measurable rate over the next 13.8 billion years to the still expanding cosmos that we know today. Now if you can learn that off by heart, congratulations. This is your opportunity. Courteously ask, where did that infinitely hot and dense single point come from? Next, you could progress to the wonderful interrelatedness uh, interrelatedness of all the parts of the human body, the enzymes, which if absent, prevent life, and so on. Then ask, where did life come from? The atheist is immediately on very shaky ground here. If he says that there was a swamp in which, contrary to all probability, life suddenly appeared, then remind him that no scientist has ever been able to create life in a test tube. No matter how many variations of the amino acids he puts into his test tube before he shakes it up. There are plenty, of, plenty more things that we could say. But today, let's just start with Psalm 19. People are able to conclude that God exists by looking around them at the universe. However, the Bible is needed for detailed knowledge of God and salvation. Amen.